Brother Anthony's uh, lesson this morning is entitled Disruption and Mission, and I've been asked to read to you from Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. Acts 5, 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a, a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. It's quite an encouraging story to get started, isn't it? We're not receiving money at any uh, elders' feet today, so I'm sure they might not turn you away, though. We've been journeying through the book of Acts so far. We're into chapter 5. And at every stage so far, we have seen the gospel transforming people's lives and transforming the cultures and the environments that it goes into, radically changing it. It's literally changing people's religion. The gospel is changing people's hope from a return to a physical kingdom that Israel once hoped for to a belief in a spiritual kingdom that Jesus Christ now reigns. It's changed that. It's changed relationships. People who were strangers have now become friends. And people who are now united in Christ as friends and brothers and sisters are now becoming family. It's changed their lives economically. People are as you saw here in this story, literally selling possessions that they have so that members of their now church family will not go without. This movement that Jesus Christ commissioned his apostles to go on when he said, go be witnesses of me and my resurrection, starting where you live and incrementally work yourself out to the ends of the world. Go tell people that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, died for their sins, buried in the tomb, and he's not dead anymore. He's now ascended to the right hand of the Father. And this movement had begun to face, as we saw last week, some challenges. Uh, we see in chapter 2 and chapter 3, the gospel begins to uh, spread and change people's lives, and the community begins to form. And all of a sudden, in chapter 4, the mission begins to face some challenges. Challenges outside of itself. The Jewish people who had not converted to Christianity did not want Christianity to continue to spread. And so those outside of the faith were pressing in to crush the movement. 
But what's interesting is those outside had no power to stop this movement. Peter and John, even when they were arrested in chapter 4 and threatened by the most powerful people in their city not to preach Jesus anymore, in the very court where they're being tried and told not to preach Jesus, they actually preach Jesus. So literally, forces outside of the church do not possess the power to stop the mission of Jesus Christ. But in this story, in Acts chapter 5, we actually see the first place where the mission of Jesus gets disrupted a little bit. Hits a bump in the road, so to speak. You see, Peter and John being arrested wasn't a bump in the road of the mission of Jesus. That just took them into the cell and into the courtroom where they then preached Jesus crucified and resurrected to those who were, they were in front of. But now, notice what Peter's doing with his time right now. Is he witnessing to the resurrection in this moment, in this story? Is he reaching to those that are lost and calling out to them? Peter and the rest of the apostles are disrupted in their mission right now. You see, the problem the church faces when experiencing disruption in mission is never problems from outside. It's always problems inside. The only place the mission of Jesus Christ can be disrupted is not pressure or problems outside, but pressure and problems inside the church. I believe that's exactly why Luke included this story in Acts chapter 5. It's kind of a weird story, isn't it? Uh, you don't hear much about that. In fact, I chuckled the other day because I heard somebody um, comparing the Old Testament to the New Testament. And somebody's like, you just don't see people in the New Testament drop dead when they're sinful. I'm like, well, actually, you kind of do. <laughs> Acts chapter 5 is a little strange, isn't it? But Luke included it because if you notice in chapter 4 at the end of it, what Luke's doing is showing you two examples. I didn't have this read for our scripture, but Barnabas, you know Barnabas, uh, pretty famous, travels with Paul. We see him come on the scene at the end of chapter 4. When the community of believers were together, Barnabas went and sold something. And he brought all of the proceeds of that sale and laid it at the, at the apostles' feet. And then Luke tells us a story about Ananias and Sapphira, who do the very same thing but hold back some of the profit. And the holding back of the profit was not the problem. They came and laid it at the apostles' feet, presenting it as it's all. You see, what Luke is giving us in this story is the main way the church gets disrupted and that main way is hypocrisy so this morning i want to walk through um, from our text verse 2 verse 3 and verse 4 three really simple points about hypocrisy to help you help us understand that the church and the mission that we're on gets disrupted when we as believers fall prey to what we're seeing as hypocrisy and hopefully we'll see the solution to it. Let's start first of all with the ingredients of hypocrisy. Well, what are the ingredients that have to come together for people to become hypocritical? Verse 2 is going to show you the three things that come together. Now, what's interesting is the first two, um, notice verse 2, let's just read it real quick. He says, and with his wife's knowledge, this is Ananias, he kept back some for himself and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Three actions. The first two actions need to be held together. Ananias and Sapphira kept back some that they were going to give to God, but were not ready to give to God yet. They kept back some of themselves. 
and they only brought part to the apostles. Now, these two things alone, if you stopped right there where it said Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property for $5,000 and they kept $2,500 and brought $2,500, in and of itself is not hypocrisy. You see, when Peter uh, later, what he said to Ananias, he said, listen, was the property not yours? It's your property. When it was sold, was the money not even yours? It was your money. You see, these first two things are not actually hypocrisy, but they're the ingredients that can lead you there. They're actually the very thing that describe the condition of all of us on this side of glory. You know that old hymn we sing, all of self and none of thee, some of self and some of thee, less of self and more of thee, and then finally it ends up with none of self and all of thee. That old hymn draws a great illustration of what life is like on this side of glory, the progression that we go through of keeping back so much for ourselves and only bringing a part to God, a piece of us, a portion of us. And what Ananias and Sapphira are doing is illustrative to our, our life, our journey. Romans chapter 6 says when we go into the waters of baptism, we die to our old self. And when we're raised out of those waters, we become a new creature, a new being. But later in verse 11, even though he says we have died to our old self and become that new being, Paul would then tell us this. He urges us to make sure you consider yourself dead to that old person and alive to God. His point is this. Even though you've come up out of the waters of baptism and symbolically you have died to that old self and you're alive to that new self, you still have to, day by day, reckon yourself to be dead to sin. You've got to wake up today and say, the part of me that I still hold back and have not given to God, I've got to learn to die to that part. That's why Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Daily. You see, this is a progressive movement of the Christian. From, none of, uh, from all of self to none of thee, all the way down to none of self to all of thee of God. In Romans chapter 7, Paul probably fleshes this thought out most um, fully when he describes that big struggle between the war in his members and the war in his mind, where he says, the things that I will to do, I'm not doing those things. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. And he's fighting with that. And he cries out at the end of the chapter, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. You see, holding back some... And only giving God part is a description of the Christian this side of glory. And that alone does not make you a hypocrite. It doesn't. But just like you have flour and eggs, you add that one other ingredient, all of a sudden you might have the mixture for a cake. There's one ingredient that gets added to this mixture. So I would say first and foremost, who in this room is susceptible of hypocrisy? Every one of us. Because every one of us is fighting that inner self that says, I want to hold back part of me from God and only give part of myself to God. All of us face that challenge. It's universal in our experience. And so the candidates for hypocrisy is every person in here that has become a Christian. Those are the candidates. But what makes a person become hypocritical? You see, the real question is not, do you struggle to give all of yourself to God? The real question is this, because we know the answer is yes. The real question is this. How do you handle this conflict that's in you? 
Maybe like the Hebrew writer would say, how do you handle the sin that so easily ensnares you, that's so close to you? How do you deal with that sin? And here's where it becomes hypocrisy. When Ananias and Sapphira looked at each other and said, hey, look at all the attention Barnabas is getting. People are proud of him. They're giving him attaboys. They're patting him on the back. He sold some property. He brought the money and gave it to the apostles. And everybody was pleased with that behavior. And in that moment, they had a thought. We too could get that same reaction from people. And so they sold a property. But they still kind of loved the money. And so they looked at the money and they said, is there a way for us to keep part of what I want and still get all the glory. And in that moment, we see birthed hypocrisy. You see, the hypocritical thing that happened was that they brought the portion of the money, the, maybe half of the money, and they laid it at Peter's feet in a way that said, this was the total sale price of the land that we sold, the property that we sold. And there you see the essence of hypocrisy. The essence of hypocrisy is not struggling to give God everything that you are. The essence of hypocrisy is pretending, pretending to be something that you're not currently right now. That's what hypocrisy is. And hypocrisy is fool's gold to Christian growth. And here's the problem with it. It actually kind of works sometimes. People praise you. You get pats on the back. People are fooled. But see... So the ingredients of hypocrisy are first, that you and I are in a mixture of keeping back some of ourselves and not giving all of ourselves to God. It becomes hypocrisy when we begin to pretend that we're more than what we are, farther along than what we are. That's what hypocrisy really is. And the problem is found in verse 3. Look in verse 3. Let's read it. He says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? There's three ways that hypocrisy is a problem. First and foremost, hypocrisy is offensive to God. It literally offends God. That's who you're harming. See what Peter said? Peter said to Ananias, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Why are you lying to God? In your hypocrisy, Ananias, you're not lying to Peter. You're not lying to the church members when you're hypocritical. Sure, you might be deceiving them, but they aren't the ones you're really lying to. They're not the ones that you are dishonoring. The one that you're lying to, the one that you're offending, the one that you're dishonoring is God himself. And here's, there's one of three things that, Peter, or that, that Ananias was thinking about for him to be willing to lie to Peter. And for us, for us to be willing to be, be hypocritical, we have to believe one of three things about God and his presence. Number one. Ananias and us might assume that the Holy Spirit's not present. So we're here today, we're in a gathering, we might just forget or not think about or not believe that the presence of God is in this place right now. That God is actually here, that we're in his presence, that he's in our presence and he sees. That, that could be one mistake that Ananias made. The second could be this, that maybe Ananias believed that the Holy Spirit was in the presence of the church, like you and I believe maybe. But maybe he believed the Holy Spirit had no idea what he was doing. Maybe he underestimated the ability of God and through the Holy Spirit to know his heart, to know that he had held back part of the proceeds and he was lying when he presented all that he was presenting. Maybe he thought that. The third mistake he could have made was this. 
Maybe he believed the Holy Spirit was there. Maybe he believed the Holy Spirit even knew. But perhaps he thought the Holy Spirit wouldn't care, wouldn't do anything. You see, you have to believe one of those three things to give yourself permission to be hypocritical. You have to forget the presence of God, to not have the awe and the fear that his presence is here. So you might be fooling people, but you're not fooling him. You have to forget that. Or you have to forget that even though God is present, he actually does know the secrets of your heart. Or you have to forget that even if he knows my secrets, he actually does care. And he'll hold us compatible. They're coming for us. <laughs> I told you, this, this message, right? <laughs> that could have been the ambulance for Ananias, right? <laughs> when they said that people wrapped, his, wrapped him up and took him. <laughs> that was good. Good timing. All right. So the problem with hypocrisy is you first, you're, you are absolutely offending the nature of God, disrespecting the nature of God. The second thing is, the problem with hypocrisy is that it's destructive to you. You see, uh, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Let that sentence sink in for a moment, because as you and I wrestle with being hypocritical, when we become hypocritical, Peter says Satan has assumed the throne of our heart. Wow. You see, here's the problem, as I was mentioning before. Hip hypocrisy actually works on a human level. Um, you can pull it off. You, you can put on the right clothes. You can say the right words. You can speak the right language. You can sing the right songs. You can look the part really well for a really long time. And the problem with hypocrisy is that it is the short circuit to Christian joy. It is the short circuit to Christian life. And the problem is, in hu amongst humans horizontally, it gets affirmed. When people come in here and their lives haven't really been transformed, but they put on the show and we give them the attaboys and we're proud of them and they're doing, it feeds that. That's the great danger of hypocrisy is that it sinks its teeth deeper into us. And the one problem that Jesus came to solve never gets solved. You see, Jesus did not come to create a society of saints that never have problems on earth. That's not what he came to do. He came to solve our sin problem. And when you live in hypocrisy, your problem of sin never gets solved. It actually gets rooted deeper into your being. You know that's why Jesus came. John said Jesus descended from heaven to earth to destroy the works of the devil. And the question is this, has he been successful in you? And when you're hypocritical, when you live in hypocrisy, you get affirmation that you're doing well, all the while your sin is rooting deeper and deeper into your heart. So sin, um, hypocrisy is offensive to God. It is destructive to you. And thirdly, as we're talking about the mission, hypocrisy is incredibly, incredibly disruptive to the mission of Christ. Now, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Because if you come in here today and you're being hypocritical, Maybe I'm here today being hypocritical. You can actually flow in and out Sunday after Sunday of church and never feel like and never seem like you're a disruption to this church. Did you know that? You can come in here for years and never seem like you're actually disrupting anything we're doing. The sermon goes on. We take the Lord's Supper. We sing some songs. Visitors come. We try to evangelize the lost people. And you just slide in and slide out living a hypocritical life. 
It doesn't really feel like it's disruptive to the mission, does it? Let me tell you something. Hypocrisy is incredibly disruptive to the real mission of the church. The mission of the church is not to have a smooth 59-minute service. No amens on that one, right? The mission of this church does not exist to have a smooth, uninterrupted, no babies crying, 21-minute, 59-minute service. That's not the mission of this church. So your hypocrisy coming in here and letting the weekly service run smoothly is disrupting the real mission of the church. The real mission. You see, the real mission of the church is to wage war on sin. To wage real war against our sin. The church exists as the community of people that are grace-filled with each other, but love each other enough to hold each other accountable that we together wage war on the sin that still is in us. And we demonstrate that. We present that. We say, I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with lying. I still struggle with greed. And we together sing gospel songs and we pray gospel prayers and we listen to gospel preaching and we fight and we work together to have that sin killed in us. Think about how ineffective it is to look at outsiders and say, we have the solution to your sin problem. How do you know? I don't have sin. How ineffective is that? To look to people who are outside the church and say, we're here to solve your sin problem, but just so happens we don't really have any. Do you see how hypocrisy, while it produces a smooth Sunday service, disrupts the real mission of the church? Because the real mission of the church is to wage the war that is on the sin, that is that on the sin that is in each of us right now. If we continue to live in hypocrisy, we will have pretty ministries, a nice building, a smooth service, but we won't be living the mission of Jesus Christ. And we might have temporary joy because we get to do certain things, but we won't have eternal joy. So what's the solution to this? Let's do this quickly. The ingredients of hypocrisy, keeping back some for yourself, only bringing part to God, but believing that you can short circuit that by pretending you're more than you are. The problem with hypocrisy is that you offend God. It's destructive to you because you're not killing sin and it's really disrupting the honest mission of this church. So how do we solve it? Verse four, Peter asks a question. He says to Ananias this. He says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You see, what Peter did was ask the question that Ananias should have asked himself. Ananias and Sapphira in their house, they see Barnabas get all this praise and this glory for selling his property and giving the money. They look at each other and they have to have this conversation at some point, right? Hey, you want to sell our property? We can give to the church. Yeah. They get the money. Hey, you want to give this to the church? Yeah, let's give this to the church. You want to give it all? I got an idea. What if we gave part of it and told them we gave it all? They had to have that conversation. And when that happened, Ananias... Or Sapphira should have said, wait, 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 wait. Why do we want to do that? Why? Why, Ananias, did you want to give part of the money and say it was all? Why? Why were you wanting to do that? And you have to ask yourself, in your hypocrisy, why do you want to live hypocritically? 
Is it for praise? Are you missing praise? Do you want people to give you pats on the back? Maybe. Are you uh, wanting connection? Are you afraid that if you are honest with who you are, that people will reject you? Maybe you don't have somebody you can go to, so you have to continue to be hypocritical to have connection. Do you want respect and honor? Do you want people to look at you and say, wow, that is an exemplary Christian. Look at that person. Do you want comfort? Are you afraid that this whole confession business is going to hurt a little bit? And transformation might cause a little pain. You see, your solution is found in asking why. And when you know why, it might not be any of those. It might be all of those. It might be some of those. But you have to ask, why am I drawn to hypocrisy? And when you know, you bring that answer to the cross. For instance, if it's praise that you want, Maybe you just want the attaboys. Maybe your uh, what would uh, Gary Chapman say? Words of affirmation is your love language, right? You like those attaboys and it feels good. Maybe that's you. Guess what? You know you were actually designed to receive praise. You were actually created by God to receive praise. When this life is all said and done, what will God say to those faithful servants of his? What will he say? Two words. Well done. You were designed to receive praise. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, when he says, through various trials, we are like gold being refined. And he says that gold being refined, our precious faith, that faith will result in praise, glory, and honor at the coming of Jesus. That's not saying when Jesus comes, you'll praise, glory, and honor him. Yes, we'll do that. But what he's saying is if you make it through the trials, become the person you're supposed to become, fight the sin. When Jesus comes, you will receive praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Do you know that? Your desire for praise is not a bad desire. You're just getting it from the wrong people. You need to wait for the right kind of praise to come. Okay, maybe your uh, desire is for connection. Did you know in Christ we first have a connection with God that you need to nurture and grow? And secondly, John says this, when we walk in the light, meaning openly, honestly with, 1 John 1, 7, if you're writing these down, when you walk in the light, he says we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. Walking in the light gives you real connection, not fake connection. It gives you connection with those who are actually pursuing God. So you walking in the light, you might actually lose connection with some people. But guess what? Those aren't the people you want to be connected with anyway. If you walk in the light and you lose connection with some people, those aren't the people you want to be connected with. John says when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have connection with those who are also walking in the light. Those that know the struggle of sin, you'll have real connection. You'll gain the right people in your life. Is it respect and honor that you want? Did you know that as we progressively work through fighting our sin in this life, as we become more like Jesus, he says that the coming of Jesus will be made like him and we will be honored with Jesus. We will reign with him. You see, your desire for honor is not a bad desire. You're just looking in the wrong places for it. And finally, is it comfort that you want? You see, I believe that many of us do not know the comfort that comes by being both fully known and then fully loved. You see, to be fully loved but not known will never change your life. That's what hypocrisy is. People love me, but they don't really know me. If you know me 99% of the way, but I have a 1% secret that I keep from you, and you love me, I know in my brain that if you knew that 1%, you would stop loving me. So to be loved and not known will never change your life. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. 
but to be fully known and to be fully loved is the most transformative experience you've ever had. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is supposed to give you that. But we're so afraid that it might not happen, that we might be known and then not loved. So we hide ourselves like Adam and Eve. And God says, listen, you can be fully known and fully loved. And that kind of comfort, that kind of embrace, I would encourage you not to miss. And so as we finish, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus Christ gave up every one of those things. Praise, comfort, connection, respect. He gave up every one of those things. He was rejected as an outcast. He wasn't praised. He was betrayed and forsaken. He wasn't connected. He was hung between two criminals. He was not honored. And he experienced unimaginable agony. He was not comforted. Why? So that the wrath of God could be absorbed so that we could again experience the connection with God we were always supposed to have. So that love could be displayed in a way that you have never seen love in your entire life. All for the purpose of bringing you out of hiding. To finally have healing from that sin that you've always desired to have. See, the cross is our great healer. If you're willing to come close to the cross, to the light of God, to not only have the greatness of God exposed, but also your sin exposed, the truth of the cross will begin to save you. Friends, hypocrisy is the fool's gold of Christian joy. It won't give it to you. Only walking openly in the light is what will bring you joy. And hypocrisy is the great distraction, the great disruption in the mission of the church. Here in this church, may we not be people that are distracted and disrupted by hypocrisy, but be people who live the mission first inside as a witness and demonstration to those outside of us that in Jesus Christ there are answers for sin, not just a place to hide. Now let's stay in this thing. If you need help, you can come.